Today's article explains in a very elegant manner how universal consciousness can indeed present as individual alters simultaneously. With the help of a few real-life examples, a powerful metaphor takes shape, allowing us to visualize how dissociation fundamentally occurs and how the interplay of our individual perspectives is basically self-talk from across timelines. How can you be me? The answer is time. By Bernardo Castrop. That you believe you were your five-year-old self is grounds to believe that you can be another person right now while still being you, argues our executive director in this stimulating theoretical essay. How can one universal subject be you and me and everybody else at once? This is perhaps the most difficult aspect of analytic idealism to wrap one's head around, for it implies that you are me at the same time that you are yourself. How can this possibly be? After all, you can see the world through your eyes right now, but not through mine. Although reference to dissociative disorders, empirically validated as they are, forces us to accept that such somehow can indeed be the case, for it is the case in severely dissociated human minds, the question of how to visualise the dissociation remains difficult. How can you visualise a process by virtue of which you are me while being yourself concurrently? How are we to get an intuitive handle on this? Notice that what makes it so difficult is the simultaneity of being implied in the hypothesis. You can easily visualise yourself being your five-year-old self, an entity different from your present self in just about every way, because being your five-year-old self is not concurrent with being your present self. One is in the past, the other is in the present. Visualising oneself, taking two different points of view into the world, does not offer any challenge to our intuition, provided that these points of view aren't taken concurrently. Here is an example. When I was a child, I used to observe a very curious behaviour of my father's. He would play chess against himself, a common and effective training technique in a time before computerised chess engines. Doing so helps a chess player learn how to contemplate the position on the board from the opponent's point of view 
in order to anticipate the opponent's moves. My father would perform this exercise quite literally. He would play a move with the white pieces, turn the entire board around by 180 degrees, and play a move with the black pieces, then turn the board back to white again, and so on. My father, a single subject, was taking two different points of view into the world, experiencing the battle drama of the game from each of the two opposing perspectives. One subject, two points of view. We have no difficulty understanding this because the two perspectives weren't simultaneous but instead occupied distinct points in time. Yet we've known for over a century now are aspects of one and the same thing, the fabric of space-time. Both are dimensions of extension in nature which allow for different things and events to be distinct from one another by virtue of occupying different points in that extended fabric. For if two ostensibly distinct things occupy the same point in both space and time, for if two ostensibly distinct things occupy the same point in both space and time, then they can't actually be distinct. But a difference in location in either space or time suffices to create distinction, and thereby diversity. By occupying the same point in space, but at different times, two objects or events can be distinguished from each other, but so can they be distinguished if they exist simultaneously at different points in space. The way to gain intuition about how one subject can seem to be many is to understand that differences in spatial location are essentially the same thing as differences in temporal location. This way, for the same reason that we have no difficulty in intuitively understanding how my father, a single subject, could seem to be two distinct chess players, we should have no intuitive difficulty in understanding how one universal subject can be you and me, just as my father could do so by occupying different perspectives at different points in time, that is, by alternating between black and white perspectives. The universal subject can do so by occupying different perspectives at different points in space. For again, space is essentially the same thing as time. Yet the demand for this transposition from time to space still seems to be too abstract, not concrete or intuitively satisfying enough, at least to me. We need to make our metaphor a little more sophisticated. A few years ago, 
I had to undergo a simple, short, but very painful medical procedure. So the doctors decided to give me a fairly small dose of a general anaesthetic, which would knock me out for about 15 minutes or so. I figured that that would be a fantastic opportunity for an experiment. I would try to focus my metacognition and fight the effects of the drug for as long as I could. So to observe the subjective effects of the anaesthetic on myself. I had undergone general anaesthesia before, in my childhood, but had no recollection of that. So this was a fantastic chance to study my own consciousness with the maturity and deliberateness of an adult. And so there I was, lying on an operating table, rather excited about my little experiment. The drug went in via the IV, and I focused my observation of the contents of my own consciousness, like a laser. Yet as the seconds ticked by, I couldn't notice anything. Strange, I thought. Nothing seems to be happening. After several seconds, I decided to ask the doctors if it was normal for the drug to take so long to start causing an effect. Their answer? We're basically done. Just hang on in there for a few more moments so we can wrap it up. What? I thought. They are basically done. How can that be? It hasn't been a minute yet. In fact, more than 15 minutes had already elapsed. They had already performed the whole procedure. I experienced absolutely no gap or interruption in my stream of consciousness. None whatsoever. Yet obviously, there had been one. How could that be? What had happened to my consciousness during the procedure? The drug altered my perception of time in a very specific and surprising way. If we visualise subjective time as a string from where particular experiences, or rather the memories thereof, hang in sequence, the drug had not only distorted or eliminated access to some of those memories, but also cut off a segment of the string and tied the two resulting ends together, so to produce the impression that the string was still continuous and uninterrupted. I shall call this peculiar dissociative phenomenon cognitive cut and tie. The memory of certain experiences in a cognitively associated line are removed from the line, and the two resulting ends seamlessly reassociated together, so the subject notices nothing missing. Now let us bring this to bear on my father's chess game. Imagine that we could manipulate my father's perception of time in the following way. We would cut every segment of time when my father was playing white and tie, that is, cognitively associate, these segments together in a string 
in the proper order. We would also do the same for the black segments. As a result, my father would have a coherent, continuous memory of having played a game of chess only as white, and another memory of having played another, albeit bizarrely identical, game of chess only as black. In both cases, his opponent would appear to him as somebody else. If you were to tell my father that it was him, himself, on the other side of the board all along, he would have thought you mad. For how could the other player be him at the same time that he was himself playing against his opponent? The answer to how one universal subject can be many, to how you can be me as you read these words, resides in a more sophisticated understanding of the nature of time and space, including the realization that, cognitively speaking, what applies to one ultimately applies to the other. As such, If you believe that you were your five-year-old self, then there is an important sense in which, by the same token, you must believe that you can be me. There is only the universal subject, and it is you. When you talk to another person, that other person is just you in a parallel timeline which we call a different point in space, talking back to you across timelines. The problem is simply that both of you have forgotten that each is the other, due to dissociative cut and tie. A different subjective position in space is just a different point in a multidimensional form of time and vice versa. Indeed, such interchangeability between space and time is a field of rich speculation in physics. Physicist Lee Smallin, for instance, has proposed that space can be reduced to time. Physicist Julian Barbour, in turn, has proposed the opposite, that there is no time, just space. There may be a coherent, theoretical sense in which both are right. The most promising theoretical investigation in this area is perhaps that of Professor Bernard Carr from Queen Mary University, London, a member of Essentia Foundation's Academic Advisory Board. If his project is given a chance to be pursued To its final conclusions, it is possible that physics will offer us a conceptually coherent, mathematically formalized way to visualize how one consciousness can seem to be many. Looking upon personal identity through the lens suggested above may convince you that when an old wise man turns to a brash young lad and says, I am you tomorrow. Such statement may have more layers of meaning 
then meets the eye at first. Eye-opening, isn't it? Again, as Kastrup mentions in this article, dissociative disorders are undeniable and empirically established phenomena that serve as a window into how dissociation can indeed create simultaneous centres of awareness from one mind. Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID, formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder, until a better understanding of the condition arose, is characterised by fragmentation or splintering of identity. Until early in the 21st century, before which we could only rely on patient reports of these disorders, there were serious doubts whether this condition was even real. Since the advent of neuroimaging, however, we now know that DID is quite real, and that this disorder is characterised by alternating between multiple identities. What was originally one centre of awareness seemingly splits into several and separate centres of awareness. A person may feel like one or more voices are trying to take control in their head. Often, these identities may have unique names, characteristics, mannerisms and voices. In a particular study conducted in Germany in 2015, a woman with DID had multiple alters, and a couple of them claimed to be blind. The host's visual system was confirmed to be intact. The researchers then used an EEG cap to measure this woman's brain activity, and when a blind alter was in control of the body, the activity in the visual cortex, or the primary region of the brain that receives, integrates, and processes visual information relayed from the retinas, would disappear even though the woman's eyes were open. Normal brain activity would resume if the host or any of the other sighted alters would take control. What this clearly shows us is that dissociation is literally capable of blinding you, rendering you incapable of reading my thoughts and vice versa even if we are part of one universal mind. We also know that people with DID can be cured and that those once separate alters can be reintegrated into one personality, which then remembers the memories of each alter as its own integrated memories. We experience less severe forms of dissociation all the time, Dream is a form of dissociation we ourselves engage in regularly. After all, until we awaken and our more dominant identity takes over, we believe ourselves to be the dream alter. I'm sure many of us have also had the experience of seeing a photo of ourselves as a baby, having no recollection of that time, and of having the sensation that it is someone else. 
Memory plays a pivotal role in maintaining a sense of a unified entity across multiple identities, constantly in flux over the span of our lifetimes. From a spiritual perspective, the dissociation manifest in the multiplicity is viewed as the game of the one with itself. When one enters into the game as a player, awareness of unity is lost in the fascination of play. And this taking over of consciousness is the fun of the play. The one becomes many, to play a game of cosmic hide-and-seek with itself. In the Hindu tradition, this veiling power, or dissociation, is called Maya Shakti, or Maya, and it creates the illusion of me and mine, of thee and thine, which represents the ignorance in the individual consciousness. As William Shakespeare wrote in As You Like It, quote, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players, unquote. And it is perhaps due to this cosmic cut and tie that we each do not realise that we are the other, in a different timeline and from a different perspective. The purpose of this play has been a subject of much debate over the course of human history. Some philosophies, spiritual doctrines and religions posit that duality is perhaps God, the Supreme Being, the Universe, Mind at Large, call it what you will, standing in a hall of mirrors, attempting to know itself. There are references to this in the Islamic faith, particularly in the Hadith Qudsi, which is a compendium of sayings attributed to God and spoken by the Prophet Muhammad. One such saying is, quote, كُنْتُ كَنْزًا مَخْفِيًّا فَأَحْبَبْتُ أَنْ أُعْرَفْ فَخَلَقْتُ الْخَلْقِ لِكَيْ أُعْرَفْ Unquote. Which translated reads, I was a hidden treasure, and I wished to be known. So I created creation, so that I might be known. Another saying from the Hadith Qudsi, to the end of which Sufi scholars added two words in order to illustrate the deeper meaning being evoked, reads, quote, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبِدُونَ The translation of which is, I have only created the jinn and mankind so that they may worship me. The two words that Sufi scholars added to the end of this were "ayliyarifun," which in English translates to, in other words, that they may know me. The purpose of existence is truth, revealing the nature of reality. And this truth may very well be that we are not separate from the source of our being, nor are we separate from each other. In the immortal words of the Beatles, I am he 
as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time.